You are listening to Cosmos, written by Jeff Carrera, read by the author. Chapter 3 I sat quietly by myself in the living room for about an hour after Destiny had gone to bed. I thought about how little I actually knew about her. For all I knew, she could wake up in the middle of the night, rob me blind and split. Somehow, I knew that was not going to happen. But I still went around the house to see if there was anything I wanted to protect. The only thing that really mattered was my laptop. So I brought that into my bedroom. Then I went to bed myself. When I was 29 years old, I left the life I was living and joined a spiritual community that you could easily call a cult and not be inaccurate. I lived for 20 years on a 200-acre property with a community that swelled in size to nearly 100 residents at its peak and dwindled down to below 50 as it came to an end. The two decades in a cult club is pretty damn exclusive, and it's hard to explain to anyone why you would walk away from a perfectly good marriage, a well-paying job, and more or less all your friends, only to share a bedroom with two complete strangers and a house with 11 other people living in it that you don't know. Very few people have any context to understand how that kind of choice could make sense. To most people, it just sounds crazy. As Destiny slept down the hall, I thought about how the Eternity app had given her a context to understand me. After all, she had left everything, her career, her friends, even the shelter of a home, to be part of an online community. In fact, since Dr. Free was the leader of that online community, as he was my residential community, Destiny and I are part of the same spiritual family. Hearing her story, most people would find it hard to believe that she wasn't utterly enraged by what had happened to her, either angry with Dr. Free and the app, or angry with herself for making such poor choices. In the end, they would most likely conclude that she was crazy, or brainwashed, or both. I know, because that's how lots of people see me. But I was looking at her story from a different point of view, although at this point, it isn't a position I totally want to defend. How do you explain why you walk away from a good life to follow a dream that is much higher than pie in the sky? You can't. Believe me, the whole time I was contemplating my decision to enter the community, even I thought it was crazy. Until suddenly, it was the only thing that made any sense to me. When I saw what I saw, I knew. It happened one day while I was laying on the couch that sat facing a beautiful picture window in the house that my wife at the time and I owned. I remember the yellow light pouring into the living room and washing over the beautiful brick fireplace. The house I was living in, the one I would soon be leaving, was painted white and surrounded by a white picket fence. It abutted a public park that would be the perfect playground for the children I was never going to have. I was laying on my back, looking up at the ceiling, thinking about the miraculous experiences that I had been having since meeting Dr. Free, as I thought about the heart openings, energetic surges, and mystical states of pure insight, I felt so much gratitude for having been blessed with such gifts of grace. I had seen that the essence of life was a benevolent energy that was always available to love us, as long as we were willing to be loved. I laid there on the couch, staring at the ceiling, 
feeling so deeply loved by the universe. And suddenly, I began to see everyone. Everyone in the world working so hard to find happiness. Working so hard to be okay. Working so hard to do what is the most natural thing in the world to do. Live. For months, I had been experiencing how easy life can be. And now, I was looking at the sprawling mass of humanity struggling. I felt so sad. There was no reason for so much suffering. A biblical quotation from my childhood suddenly popped into my head. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? The teachings I heard in church as a boy suddenly made complete sense. We were perfectly cared for in this universe. We were immaculately loved. We fit. We belonged here. Everything about us, from our deepest thoughts to our toenails, was designed to exist right here in this universe, in the exact form that we are in. To say that we fit in this universe like a hand fits into a glove would still not express the intimacy of our belonging. It would be better to say we fit here the way one side of a piece of paper fits the other. We are not two things that match. We are two aspects of the same thing. Looked at from one side, you see a human being, flip things around, and you see a universe. We are an expression of the universe. The fit is more than perfect. The universe defines us, and we define the universe. This is what I was feeling the day I decided to leave my life and start a new one. It was the most radically unprecedented and clearly autonomous decision I had ever made. When we say that someone is making a crazy decision, we usually mean one of two things. Either they are choosing to do something that is obviously going to lead to a bad result, or they have decided to take a course of action that is wildly outside of what anyone else would ever do. I lay there on my couch, and even I couldn't relate to what I was going to do. But I knew I was going to do it. It made no sense, leaving a loving wife and a good career, to pursue spiritual enlightenment with a group of people I didn't even know. No one in my life thought it was a good idea. I didn't even think it was a good idea. I just knew that I was going to do it. I could say I had no other choice. But it feels truer to say that the choice was inevitable. I could have chosen other words, but I was never going to. The choice was free and destined. It couldn't have been otherwise. It was like watching myself in a movie, knowing what was going to happen next. I was just watching each next scene unfold as I was acting them out. I didn't have any choice about it, and yet I was making all the choices. Saying you have no other choice implies that you are making the one choice that you have. This didn't feel like that. This felt like having no choice at all. More like water running downhill. If you really want to understand how this kind of choice feels, think of it that way. It feels like living a choice that you have already made.
Of course, at the very same time, it felt like my first true and authentic choice. It felt like the only time I had ever chosen anything that wasn't suggested to me by logic, rationality, or the influences and opinions of others. People often assumed that I was being influenced by Dr. Free or by his group of students. And believe me, I would learn later that Dr. Free was not at all beyond coercion and manipulation. And as one of his closest students, I would do a fair bit of that myself to others. But the truth is that I hadn't yet been in direct contact with Dr. Free, and no one that I knew in that community was leaving everything behind the way I was. In fact, a few of my fellow cult members warned me that it was a terrible idea. People also assume that underlying unconscious needs and wounds drive decisions like these. They see a decision this seemingly insane and can only imagine it is the result of unhealed trauma or lack of love. I'm sure that factors like these played a part in my decision. I had been an odd child who never felt like he fit into the world, and suddenly I was being offered a chance to fit into something miraculous and of cosmic significance. So yes, certainly there were unconscious drivers at play. People will often dismiss decisions as somehow invalid because they are influenced by inner forces of need, many of which we are unaware of at the time, but all our decisions are influenced this way. My decision to go to college was overwhelmingly influenced by the power of cultural norms, by my own fears around earning a living, and by pressure from friends, teachers, and relatives. The choice to go to college, which I was praised and literally rewarded for, was decided for me more than by me. That was a case where I had no acceptable alternative. Given the culture I grew up in, the family I had, and our socioeconomic background, I had to go to college. There was almost nothing autonomous about that choice. I wasn't afraid to make that decision. I was afraid not to. Sitting on the couch that afternoon, I was terrified of the choice I knew I was going to make. Everything about not making it would be easier. Everyone in my life, except for my wife, was trying to get me to stop and would have rewarded me handsomely if I did. On the other hand, if I went through with this crazy notion, I knew I was going to lose all my friends. I knew no one would support me in this choice, and so I didn't talk with anyone about it until I announced it to my wife. I knew that this was going to be the hardest thing I'd ever done, and the only way I was going to follow through with it would be if I made my choice and stepped straight into it hard and fast, without giving myself any chance to reconsider. Only by moving this one-pointedly and not looking back could I break free. Of course, the situation with Destiny had some differences. She seems to have become addicted to the experience she was having on an app. Of course, you could, and many did, argue that I was addicted to the experiences I was having, too. But I think there is something fundamentally different about an experience that is being generated for you by an app and experiences that you have while meditating or contemplating the inner workings of the universe. Those of us who had met three years ago around the time that my cosmic self first appeared had all agreed that there was a huge difference between simulated awakening and authentic awakening. In fact, we had decided that we would work together against these mechanized means of enlightenment by reintroducing the values of innocence and surrender into the world. I really wish we hadn't split up. Maybe if we had stayed together, whatever mess happened around this app wouldn't have. Suddenly, 
my mind turned to the more pressing matters at hand. What was I going to do with destiny? I didn't want to be her teacher. The negative experience that I'd had with Dr. Free had left me with a strong allergy to being a spiritual authority figure myself. And besides, I didn't even know how to teach her if I wanted to. At the same time, I sensed another choiceless choice coming on me. I knew I was going to help her, or at least try to. I also knew that without my help, she would likely continue to be lost. It wasn't that I felt like I had to help her. It was more like I didn't feel that I had a right not to. Yesterday, she and I hadn't met. No one feels a moral obligation to help someone they don't even know yet. But today is different. We've met now. And that chance encounter has left me with a sense of responsibility. I couldn't just send her away. I needed to do what I could. As I lay in bed, unable to fall asleep, it occurred to me that I could easily download the Eternity 2.0 app on my phone and see what it was all about. I picked up the phone, looked up the app, waited for it to download, then waited a few long minutes before I clicked on it and opened it. The app opened to a page that had two buttons on it. One was labeled, Start Gazing. The other said, Eternity Live. I hit the Live button, and a list of names appeared. The top name on the list was Zen Ken, so I clicked on that one. 